Hi everyone, so this is the very first episode of this show and I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Mikhail Thorup, who is the author of the number one bestseller, Expat Secrets. And he has traveled all over the world for over 20 years in more than 100 countries. He is the living example of an entrepreneurial digital nomad and has opened the eyes of many into investments all over the world. He has specialized knowledge in taxes, investments, business, and expat living secrets. In today's episode, we dive into the extraordinary backstory that inspired Mikhail to be a successful expat. Through this, he shows how adversity can actually lead you to success. We also talk about finding the best opportunities in a changing world as an expat, how you can avoid the fear of change and become a global citizen, how you can invest your way to residency all over the world, paradigm shifts experienced in the financial markets and the broader society. Finally, we talk about hedging your finances through precious metals, Bitcoin, and preserving the value of money. Starting 1st June, he is also hosting an offshore escape summit with 26 other speakers that can help you live a global lifestyle, legally reduce your tax bill, build generational wealth, get a second passport, and regain your true freedom. Hi, Mikhail. How are you doing? Very good, Ash. Thanks so much for having me here. I hear that I am your very first guest, so that is really exciting. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm very honored to have you as a guest, and really thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. And yeah, so we'll just um, get on and tell me, tell us about your story, like your expat journey. How did you get started? What led you to getting started in this journey? Yeah, absolutely. So my story is a little bit different. And, you know, I kind of actually have to take a couple of steps back and I, I promise I won't make it too long. But basically what happened is when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And my teachers and the principal and the resource teacher and everybody, they all gathered together and they, they got in a room and they called me in and they said, Mikkel, Mikkel, something in your brain doesn't work the same as other kids. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school for special boys. And that's what they did. Every day for three years, they put me on a little white bus and I took the little white bus across town and I went to a special school. But the problem, Ash, was it actually wasn't a special school. It was a special class in a regular school. So you know how kids are. Kids are mean. Kids are, are just mean. And I was picked on and I was bullied and I got in a lot of fights. But this isn't some story about, you know, woe is me, poor little child by any means. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of glad that these types of things happen because what, what ended up happening was I decided I didn't like school. And, and I realized this very, very young. So after I got out of the special school, I went back to my neighborhood school and I thought, oh, you know, everything's going to be okay now. You know, now will be the time when, you know, I get to see my friends and everything will be okay. And, you know, then all the other kids, they start whispering and they start gossiping and, you know, oh, I remember him. Where did he go? You know, he's been gone. Where did he go? Oh, he went to some retard school, you know, 1980s, totally politically correct, 1980s. He went to some retard school. And, uh, and I got into a lot more fights and, and a lot more problems. So at 12 years old, I said, I don't like school. And I stopped going. And by 15, I was officially dropped out. And I started traveling the world, not shortly after that. And what I found was that really there's not just one way to learn things. 
Actually, there's many different ways to learn things. And what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. So at this point now, um, I've been traveling pretty much continuously for 20 years straight. Um, I've been to more than 100 countries, something like 104, 105 countries at last count. I've lived as an expat for 20 years, going on 21 years. Um, I lived in Australia. I lived in Melbourne, where you live. I was there for three years. I was in Singapore for a year, New Zealand for a year. I lived in the Arctic for 366 days, all over Canada and the United States. I lived in Guatemala. Where else? I was in Abu Dhabi for eight years. And uh, last year, about this time last year, I relocated my family to Panama. And uh, yeah, it's been a fun journey. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own business. And uh, yeah, man, it's good. That's awesome. Expat life is good. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you have branched out to many different revenue streams. And, and that obviously didn't start suddenly. You had to start from somewhere. So can you explain to us some obstacles you faced? Did you ever doubt yourself on the expat lifestyle at any point? Like obstacles mainly and how you overcame them? Okay, so you have to understand that the more challenging situations that you put yourself in, the more you grow as a human being. So when you start internationally traveling solo as a teenager, when your friends haven't even left high school yet, um, you develop skills quite quickly. And those skills are different than what you're going to learn in a book. And, and don't get me wrong, I love books. I'm a voracious reader. I've read literally three, four, five thousand books. I read more than 100 to 200 books a year. I've been at this for 25 years straight. Um, I have a giant library in my house. I love books. I love books, though, by people who have done things. I don't like books from academics who have also read about things or researched things. I like I like business books or marketing books or entrepreneur or investing books by real people who have actually done something in their life. But I, I digress. Okay. I learned a lot of my things from doing, from traveling, from using my own two hands. Um, I think that this is really valuable. I don't think that enough people do this right now. I think that it's, there's too much reliance on university and school. And I think that a lot of the school systems right now are purposefully set up to have people as perpetual children. I think that the government and the education system wants you to be a child for as long as, as possible. I know 40-year-olds who are still children, who can't cook for themselves, who can't balance a checkbook, who don't know how to clean their toilet. You know, like that's embarrassing. Like I would be, I would be ashamed of myself if I couldn't cook myself a proper meal. Um, and I think that this translates to many things in life. Like, you know, if you don't know how to do a good job with washing the dishes, how are you going to run a company? Like, I don't know. I, this is kind of the way that my brain works. I, I'm very practical. Yes, I'm very um, technical in a lot of ways. We look at a lot of financial plans. We look at a lot of business plans. We deal mostly in international real estate, offshore banking, offshore incorporation, the actual legal structures for doing all these types of things. Um, I write a blog and a podcast and a newsletter. I have, I don't know, roughly 200,000 people a month who read and consume my content based around the offshore markets. But the way that I read or the way that I learned about it was doing it my own, doing it myself, reading books from people who did, did do things themselves. And the third main way is by apprenticeship, by working with mentors. My mentors are 
lawyers. That's who I learned from. And I don't mean some rinky-dink guy who doesn't know what he's doing. I mean the partners in the law firm, the, fo the founders in the law firm who have seen worth in me and have been gener generous enough with their time to talk me through these challenges. And, you know, that's kind of my secret, you know, boiled down into a, what, three-minute nutshell, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, you talked about mentors. So what's the best way for someone to find mentors? Because I see like mentors is like a very common thing like on social media, but I feel like it's just thrown out there. Is that a, like a better meaningful way to find, find a mentor? I think that on social media, sorry, can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, go for it. I think that social media is bullshit. And I think that a lot of the entrepreneurs on social media are bullshit as well. And they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, there is no magic formula or secret formula to finding a mentor or someone to work with. The, the fundamentals, I would say, are you know, providing value. It is not about you. It is about them. Um, you know, they usually come from friendships. Someone who is older than you, all my mentors are 20 to 30 years older than me. I have mentors that I work with who are in their 80s. I have an accountant that I work with and ask him questions from, taxa from taxes. He has 45 CPAs that work underneath him. He's still the CPA, sorry, still the CEO of his company. And he's in his 80s. That's who I go to. But what happens? Okay, I'm 37. He's got kids who are probably 10 years older than me. He's got boys. So he kind of sees like, you know, he sees something in me that he probably saw in his sons, you know, same with a lot of the other mentors. You know, it's, it's how you set up the relationship, how you talk to them, um, how you come at them. Like, I suppose you probably could have a mentor who was the same age as you. I don't think that's usually the right dynamic. Um, but I don't know, maybe that works for someone else. But any of these courses on how to find a mentor and, you know, to pay for a mentor, that's not a mentor. That's a coach. And a coach is great. And I've spent tens of thousands, you know, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars on coaching and mastermind programs and things like that. But a mentor is someone who has genuine interest in seeing you succeed and they donate their time and their resources and more than, and this is such a big one, their network to helping move you forwards. You know, if you find someone like that, show them respect, bend over backwards to help them, help them in their life. You know, I call my mentors, sir, most of the time. Like I'm, I'm very grateful for the people who have seen worth in me and helped me over the last 20 years. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So um, in light of recent events, like I know like a lot of people have been affected in their income, job, and they've lost their main source of revenue. So someone who's struggling, how can they like, you know, broaden their perspectives and not just, you know, focus on getting a job, but how can they, how can they broaden their perspectives on, you know, abundant opportunities we see? Well, this is challenging. Um, you know, I think that the very first thing will always come down to education. And once again, I'm not quoting university. And I don't mean to slander anybody that has taken a university degree. Um, you know, there are reasons. There are certainly many personal reasons for doing these th types of things. But it's definitely not the only way to educate yourself. It's not the only way to, to knowledge or wisdom or, or anything like that. So 
I think that the internet is a fantastic place for learning. Um, I think that there are challenges that come with it. You know, um, you can get onto YouTube and you can start watching videos, but really what are you watching? The suggested videos that come up on a platform like YouTube or on Facebook, that's not really you know, in your best interest or necessarily what you're searching for. A lot of these major corporations, they're just pushing the, the marketing stuff that is going to get them the largest ad revenue. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a digital marketer. You know, I do marketing and lead generation for the offshore space. That's, that's my background is marketing, but I understand how it works. So just be mindful when you do watch things, you know, where it is coming from, what the slant is, and obviously what the political situation is. Like I'm a pretty hardcore libertarian um, and I follow Austrian School of Economics. So when I look at a source of income, or sorry, a source of information, I wanna know where it's coming from, who is putting out the information. Um, I want things that have come from free market enterprise. I believe in free market enterprise. I believe in deregulating um, systems and businesses because I think that that's the greatest way to thrive. And I think that if you look at any type of communist or socialist country, you can see a definite trend towards, you know, the more regulation that you put in, the more that it stifles. And the United States was, and I'm going to put this in quotation mark, was the greatest country on earth. And that's because they had very little regulation for, for centuries. And that's where they got this, this reputation for entrepreneurship. Is that still the case now? Well, I don't know. You know, things are changing very fast. Coronavirus right now, you know, there's more, more regulation that is being put in that will restrict your movement, that is going to be, have to do with tracking and, and uh, social distancing. You know, with a couple of words, they were able to lock us all in our houses for the last three months. You know, that's not freedom. That's not liberty. That's not uh, conducive to, to entrepreneurship by any means. But to kind of circle back to your original question on what do people do right now if they're in a difficult financial situation, it is education. But maybe it is not just going out there and watching YouTube all day long. You know, maybe going out, getting some books by real people who have done what you want to do. I think that's a good strategy for whatever, $18, $22. You can buy a book. Someone's taking 20 years of their life and they've condensed it into 300 pages. Like, Tell me anywhere in the world that you're going to get such a great deal. Like, like that's just unbelievable. You know, public library is also fantastic. I'm a big fan of, although it is a socialist system, um, a socialist program, I do think that the public library has a lot of value to it. I think any type of communal places that people can work in the shared economy is really good. But otherwise, pay for information. If you want to learn how to run an online business, then spend the 200 bucks or 500 bucks and pick up some courses from entrepreneurs who know what they're doing. Look at their track record. You're going to resonate with someone and fork out the money. You know, you're not really paying for that four hour, four hours of course. You're paying for the 10 years that it took to learn it and to test it. And maybe the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they lost trying to build something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you said United States was the greatest economy so where do well, you no, it's see the greatest the country greatest country, country. It still is the yeah. strongest economy strongest economy yeah although the you know my wife is from mainland china and i know and understand a lot about the chinese economy and the chinese politics and how things work there and you know we own properties there we go i've been to china god i don't know 40 times damn more okay. maybe 45 times 47 times 
Um, But I mean, you know, if you trust Mm -hmm. the economics, if you trust the reports that are put out, then yeah, the U.S. is still the strongest economy in the world. But is it the greatest country in the world? Is it the freest country in the world? Well, certainly not. You know, out of 193 countries in the world, like 160 of them are free. There's there's many free countries out there. You know, you ask an American, they're not going to know that though. And I don't and I don't mean to generalize or to to uh, to shit on my American friends and brethren. You know, the majority of my clients are American. What we do is help them move overseas and move, help them move offshore, because we can see that the country is changing. The oligarchs in the United States, the politicians, it's just not what it was. You know. Yeah. So going forward, where do you see see the most opportunities? Which demographics, which countries do you see the most opportunities for someone like trying to ladder it up, like someone in their twenties, thirties who want to like, as you said before, you said like you you'd love to be a part of a growing economy. So yeah, so we chatted yeah. for twenty minutes before, and yeah, you know, like I said, I've lived in eight different countries, and over the last twenty years, um. I think that Latin America has a lot to offer. I think they have a lot of problems uh, that they need to overcome, but I do see a lot of growth here. Um, the problems mostly have to do with the mentality. A lot of people, and and once again, I'm going to totally generalize, and, and you can hate me if you want, but um, a lot of the people still believe that things are outside of their control. If they are late for something, it's because of an external factor. It's not because they didn't set the alarm and wake up on time. It's not because they didn't get on the bus at time. It's because the bus was late. Well, I'm sorry, but personal responsibility dictates that there's a very good possibility that the bus could be late. So you should try to catch the bus before the bus that you need, you know, or two before or three before. I think that this is really difficult. Um, At the same time, I still, I do believe that Latin American culture has a lot of strong points. They have very strong family values, which I really respect. I'm really very big for family. They have pride of ownership. Um, They keep their properties clean. They keep their houses clean. I think that if you go to the United States and you look at a lot of Hispanic neighborhoods, um, they have really started to upgrade these neighborhoods. Um, I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I think that the workmanship in a lot of ways can be very good. Um, You know, Latin America is a very, very large continent. So there are hits and misses. Um, I live in Panama. I think it is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to in my life. Uh, The natural beauty here is stunning. The cost of living is very low. What you get for your dollars, it is a USD uh, country economy. I think that is amazing. Um, I think that in South, uh, Southeast Asia, it's, it's hit and miss as well. It is, it is hit and miss as well. I think there are some really good economies. I think if Vietnam can get past some of their problems, I think that they're going to be a powerhouse. Um, Thailand is just a stunning, beautiful country with amazing people and a very open and warm society. They need to fix a lot of their visa and immigration processes. If they can do that, then... Like it's already a hotspot for entrepreneurs and digital nomads and expat entrepreneurs. There's visa process is a little bit shit. I know a lot of expats who will happily pay tax um, if they will just have a proper visa where they can build their business there. Um, Personally, I think that tax is theft. So that will not relate to me. I will only go to countries where that I, 
I pay zero taxes. I lived in the Middle East for eight years. It was a tax-free country. They put in, they put in a 5% VAT. It's one of the main reasons that I left. So, Yeah. So, and also I've seen you like really get into precious metals, cryptocurrency in your last few episodes. And I've been reading a lot of Ray Dalio and he's been calling for a paradigm shift for the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the paradigm shift and how, especially like obviously he didn't know this coronavirus was going to come, but this, I, I believe that this will further accelerate the paradigm shift. So what are your thoughts well, going into hope. the 2020s? Yeah. We can hope, you know, um, I think that this is a giant power play by a lot of politicians for more power. Um, I hope that people are going to open their eyes and see what's really going on in the world and not be little sheeple and roll over because um, it's pretty disgusting what's happening on planet Earth. I think that precious metals belongs in everybody's portfolio, but you have to understand why. If you're just looking for a growth play, then definitely it's silver. Um, I think that there's massive advantages to having physical silver and having silver in your portfolio. I'm not talking about you know ETFs or mining companies. Not that there's not value to those types of things, but they don't do what you really need a precious metal to do. But you have to understand, silver is used in manufacturing. I think that, don't quote me on the numbers, but it's somewhere around 80% goes used for bullion, but the remaining amount goes to... Um, the manufacturing. So it's still used in the film industry. It's still used in electronics and mobile phones and many different industries. So it's actually being gobbled up. Now, gold, on the other hand, is, and once again, don't quote me on the numbers, but it is something like 99% is still in physical form. Um, Very, very little gold is used in manufacturing. It is less than 1%, meaning that gold that was mined 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago and you know, we were, we've been using gold as money, as a store of value for something like 5,000 years. There is some, some history that shows that gold has been valuable to humans for 50,000 years. We've been using it, but as a money source for 5,000. 5,000, yeah. Precious metals, gold, silver, things like this is a hedge. It is a hedge on the debasement of your currency. If you look at any type of fiat currency, any type of paper money, the intrinsic value is zero and all paper money returns to zero. Precious metals has intrinsic value. Okay. It has real worth. You know, if we've been using it for 5,000 years, my guess is we are still going to use it next Tuesday. All right. We're going to use it in all of 2020, 2021, in 2100, you know, (laughs) we're still, we'll still be using precious metals. Um, You can't print it. You can't, Uh, You can't create it out of thin air. It needs to be mined. And even if we do open up mines and we, you know, find a huge deposit, you know, and start digging it out of the ground, realistically, it'll be 10 years before that mine is really fully operational and we start to see it hit the market. And at the same time, other mines will dry up or the cost to mine the metal will become prohibitively uh, more expensive. So it's kind of that balancing act. Now, this morning, okay, I haven't, I think I checked maybe 12 hours ago, gold was probably sitting at 1720 or 1710 or something like that. We are seeing a massive gain since about August of last year, which it was sitting at about 1250, which is kind of the breakout point, kind of, kind of 
1300 was the breakout point, and then it's just been on a tear. Since January, you know, it is by far the best performer. Um, well, unless you count Bitcoin, which is, you know, on steroids. But that's a, a different conversation. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Precious so, yeah. Metals definitely holds my, a, a piece of my portfolio. I would suggest it for anybody, but understand what it is there for. It is there so that inflation, which they quote at 2 to 3% a year, I would argue at $7 trillion, which has been dumped in after coronavirus, that it is going to be much higher than that. The only reason that it is not showing up in reports right now is because consumer spending is so much lower because no one can go out to the mall and buy anything. And that's kind of why we're having deflation before inflation. Infl yeah, inflation and hopefully not hyperinflation anytime soon yeah i don't think but. that i don't think in the u.s and, and I'll, I'll mostly speak to the u.s i don't think we'll see hyperinflation but it uh and anytime soon but it is a possibility you can look at okay zimbabwe is the the obvious one that you can point at you know but look at venezuela look at germany look at many countries in the world there's probably about 30 countries in the world who've had massive hyperinflation in the last hundred or so years 200 years mm -hmm. and you can look at the history and what happens when government overspends and produces nothing well government always produces nothing but um when they're just left to do whatever they want because we lost the the gold standard and you know it's kind of been a shit show ever since yeah the like last time i checked i think last week i checked the stock market to market cap to gdp and it was 140 percent 138 percent so in my opinion, there's no right for the stock market to be higher than the productive economy because that mm -hmm. like eliminates the fundamentals of economics. So do yeah. you think it like that's like the dilemma? Yeah. So government's printing so much money, the stock market could melt up potentially. We thought. Well, I think what's happening in the U.S. Once again, the U.S. Um, is okay how to say this I, I i don't want to get into too complicated of things but basically the us is printing money like crazy and you're going to have these giant funnels where the money is going and the money is going into the banks but the banks are not properly distributing the money the way it should be but you do have money that are reaching people from things like ubi universal basic income now all you have to do is be like put out your hand and that's enough to receive money from the government like for me this is disgusting you know this is the wrong way to treat people and to teach people. Um, and this definitely goes back to education. If people spend more and they have more consumer debt than they have, like it's something like stupid, like eight out of 10 Americans have zero, uh, um, have less than $1,000 in their checking account. And I'm like, like, how is that actually possible? Like that is like the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. So all you need is this, this one straw, this one, one straw to break the camel's back. And that's what coronavirus did. Um, yeah, I think that they're yeah. pumping so much money into the economy right now that the stock market might artificially float, but it's such a bubble that I wouldn't put my money anywhere near it. I pulled out yeah. my money. To, to be fair, you know, I didn't time it perfectly. I pulled out my money um, at, the end of, or sorry, at the beginning of last year. I just thought this was ridiculous. Um, we were chatting before. I, I traded options for seven years. The numbers just no longer made sense to me. I got out. 
Actually, I got out of options probably two years ago, but I got out completely of the stock market about 15, 16 months ago and sold out of the rest. Now it is tangible assets, gold, silver, uh, agriculture, um, food, people, we still have a growing yeah. uh, population. I think that... I think that in a lot of countries, we still will see a larger middle class. So any type of food that is shown to be more popular with the middle class, I think will be on the increase. Um, you know, you can go into countries like China with the most massive middle class in the world. Uh, okay, obviously the US middle class is shrinking after what's happening, but other countries in the world that should be growing. So they have a lot more meat in their diet. So any type of cattle farms, um, what we would call like a premium uh, fruits and vegetables, mangoes, avocados, any type of premium woods, like we work with timber. I work in the timber markets. Um, premium woods, like hardwoods, like teak, you know, they do quite well in, in these types of things. And then real estate, you know, we can dive into real estate. I'm a big one for you know, yeah. cash, so, cash flowing properties and, and agricultural land. Yeah. So with, with real estate, the biggest problem for people is the initial capital. And especially as an expat, how can you invest in other countries without having that citizenship? That's probably the, the so biggest usually, question. For, well, okay. So most countries in the world will take um, foreign investment. A yeah. lot of people don't, don't realize this, but they will take foreign investment. Um, it'll just be dependent how the property is held. It'll either be held in an IBC or an LLC or some type of other structure if you can't hold it in your own name. Some countries will allow you to hold properties and trusts or foundations. For example, right now in Panama, they will not take a trust for holding a lot of land, but they will take a, a Panamanian foundation. So you can do it like that. Um, lots of countries in the world, you can just buy outright. The UK, you can buy outright in your own name. There's no problem with that. Uh, Mexico, it's a little bit different um, how, the way that you buy property. So you have to talk to the lawyer. You'll either talk to a real estate lawyer or you, know, you can talk to an immigration lawyer about getting your residency there. The other flip side is that in a lot of the real estate that you can do, you can actually get your residency after investing in property. So we do citizenship by investment. If you want to buy, for example, if you want to buy a property in the Caribbean, prices start at around $400,000 for a beautiful apartment. You know, you can become a St. Lucian citizen or a Dominica citizen nice. or, you know, and get passport. I work in that industry. I work with the lawyers and directly with the developers themselves. You know, there's, there's no uh, other brokers or middlemen or anything like that. We work direct with the source and, you know, that is options for people. Um, you know, as for the financing of real estate, yes, it is a lot more expensive. Not, not expensive. Maybe that's a bad word bad way to put it but if you do get financing it's not the zero money down like I'm, I'm from canada you know you can get properties for zero percent down or maybe maybe not zero but like five percent down which for all intensive purposes is zero percent down by two hundred thousand dollars for ten grand it's <laughs> yeah. fucking mental like i don't know how people would think that that's a good uh, good investment quote unquote you know but the standard might be thirty percent or forty percent um a lot of the developers in the, the ones that I work will do developer financing. It might be a two-year build cycle. Um, and they're usually like interest-free for the first 24 months. And then payment needs to be made. So maybe you might put 25% down to, to reserve your lot. And then 25% once build actually starts, 
25% before, um, you know, at a certain milestone, and then the last 25% when the, uh, the keys are handed over. And I hope that did equal 100% yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't do yeah. 525%, but you, you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, you got the point. So yeah, since we're on the topic of hard assets and the assets that doesn't depreciate in value, I know this is like a big area that I'm going to ask about, but we can just tell your quick thoughts. So with hard assets, a lot of us, like there's a lot of barriers to entry, like say for precious metal, you have to find a place to store it, obviously not at the banks because that's the existing financial system. You have to find your own storage and that's like a big barrier and like that's, and even with real estate, there's barriers to it, to get into real estate. So like the younger generation, they want to get into other hard assets, which are easily accessible, say Bitcoin. So does Bitcoin fit in the same category as hard assets or is it a more speculative? Well, the answer is both. The answer is both. Um, All right. Which way, which point do I want to handle first? All right. Yes, there is a barrier to entry. That is true. Now, is it more difficult? Difficult is a relative term. If you try to go out there and do it yourself, then yeah, maybe. If you work with someone like me, then probably not. You know, I run the oldest and largest offshore website in the world. It's called escapeartist.com. Started, a, started as a business in the 90s, got registered as, a, as an online publication in 1997. You know, we have a track record of helping people to move things offshore. You know, I took over the company a year ago. We're growing massively and it's been really fantastic. I work with a number of private vaults around the world. You know, I've traveled extensively through Europe and through Germany and Austria and Switzerland, and I've visited the vaults. I'm often, you know, and get invited there to see how it is. Same with Singapore, same with many countries in the world. Same with Panama, you know, I, I have dinner with the guys who run the vault here and are very good friends of mine. You know, you reach out to me or to my, my company at escapeartist.com and fill out the contact us form and I'll introduce you to them. I don't care. I don't mind. You know, that's happy to do that. Um, as for your second point about Bitcoin, I think that Bitcoin does tick a lot of the boxes and, and I will preface it and say that I don't mean altcoins. I don't mean cryptocurrency in general. I mean, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. You know, I think that a lot of the other stuff on the market is absolute shit. There is no uh, uses for it or if they do have the use, they don't have the adoption rate which I think is so fundamentally important that people don't get their hands, their heads around. Um, maybe it does have the uses, but I mean, if not enough people are using it, then it's not going to go anywhere. People will always go back on what's familiar. And Bitcoin is a household name. Is Ethereum? I don't know. You know, it's something that I work with every day or every, all the time. But I mean, does that mean that uh, if you talk to your folks about it, if you talk to your grandparents about it, are they going to know? Do they know what a, st- a smart contract is? Do they understand how it works? I'd say probably not. You know, A lot of people think that Bitcoin is just created out of thin air and it doesn't really exist. And, and in some, from one perspective, maybe it doesn't. But you know what? You can't just create it out of nowhere. It's mined. You know, we just had a massive fork. You know, there are, you basically have to do twice the amount of work right now to get the same amount of coins. There will only be ever in existence a certain amount of coins. 
Um, I remember taking a course once, an online program um, from MIT, and it was the university professor of mathematics who was talking about the black blockchain technology. So this was three or four years ago, so it might, be a, might have changed. But he said, if you take every single computer that has ever been created by human beings and you run them for as long as human beings have been on planet Earth, you will never crack the code for Bitcoin, for, for blockchain. And I was like, wow, like, like that's the professor of mathematics at MIT. Like, like that's just like wild to get your head around something like that. Um, I think that Bitcoin is, is defense, but I also think that Bitcoin is a weapon. Bitcoin is a way that we can transact. And if you do it properly, if you do it with a little bit of knowledge, in a lot of cases, it can be done anonymously. Um, I believe in your right to privacy. I believe that, you know, this argument of, uh, I have nothing to hide, therefore, every, you know, it doesn't matter and everyone can know my business, I think is foolish. And I think that if you have ever said anything like this, then you should really do your research because that is not the case. Um, I think that we can find lots of instances of private information that everybody out there would not like shared with the world. Um, and I think that finances belong to you. It is no, not my business what you have in your bank account, Ash. You know, it's not my business what you do with your money or who you decide to spend it with or what you want to buy on Amazon. Um, you know, if you want to tell me those types of things, if anyone, if you want to share that, then that's your right. But, you know, governments being able to pry in or private enterprise, you know, these mega corporations being able to see every dollar that you spend. I don't know, man. Sounds pretty creepy to me. So the war on cash, cash being removed from the system and, you know, Bitcoin becomes more and more attractive. Attractive. And like, I feel like the more people who realize the true value, like I know that people really don't do their research. They just disregard it as a scam because obviously there's a lot of scams in the space. So if whenever they find out about the limited supply, about the halving, the cost of mining, and when the media sensationalizes it, it'll probably definitely have another bull run. Yeah, well, the media is not objective. The media yeah. stopped being objective a very long time ago. Um, you have left-wing, you have right-wing publications. Go and go, I would say go and Google it, but stop using Google because they're one of the largest offenders out there. Um, go and use some other type of search engine like DuckDuckGo and do your research. Do your research on Bitcoin. Do your research on media and what their agenda is because it's not your best interest at heart. It is not at keeping you informed. You know, you have to do independent research uh, and understand what their motives and politically where they're coming from. Yeah, gotcha. And are you, do you still have dinner? Is that, Okay. Uh, so we can wrap up as well. So tell us about your, I know you've been really busy working on the summit recently mm -hmm. and tell us a bit about the summit and what can people learn from it and gain from it? What insights can they gain from it? So June 1st to June 5th, I'm hosting a massive online summit. So we've got more than 26 speakers. These are lawyers, accountants, service providers, uh, real estate developers, everybody that works in the international markets, the expat markets, the offshore markets, whatever you want to call it, whatever term. The way I kind of think of it is the expat is lifestyle. That's what you actually, that's, that's you. That's what you do. The offshore is the financial side. That's the structures. That's the, 
That's the, the legal work and the banking and all of these types of things. Anyways, um, I tapped my network. I went all out on this. I, I, I called in uh, everybody I knew and, and, and got the best people in the offshore markets to come and speak at this summit. So from June 1st to June 5th, we're going to be doing about five hours to six hours of content every day based around this. Um, we're going to have presentations about buying real estate in Colombia, in um, Brazil, Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, uh, all over the world, in Europe and Southeast Asia, all over the world. We've got presentations coming from, as well as how to finance it, the banking, as well as how to hold it in the structures, how to get your residency, your second passport, all of these types of things. Now, normally summits and conferences like this are thousands of dollars. Literally, I've been to many summits where the ticket price admission is, you know, $5,000 for a seat at the table. But this summit is very different, okay? The, the, and this is a drum roll here. The, the price for my summit is free. Free. And you might go, why would Mikkel put in so much time, effort, energy, money, everything to put out a summit and then give it away for free? And this is why. I am on a mission, Ash. I am on a mission to help educate people about what is happening in the world and to get people to open their eyes. Because I truly believe in my heart of hearts, in the pit of my stomach, that it is a mess and we need to look out for ourselves. We cannot be reliant on government, on the company that you work for. You know, I am a massive one for personal responsibility. And this comes down to my libertarian messaging and my libertarian upbringing. So what I want you to do is go to offshoreescape.com. You can register for free. You will have 24 hours live access to every single presentation. I'm not holding anything back. Every single presentation when it airs live to watch it. Watch all of them. You know, I, I was joking with my friend. I think we are going to even put it in one of the emails. You know, Send the dog to the kennel. <laughs> eat nothing but ramen noodles for five days straight and watch every single piece of content. If you can't watch every piece of content, we will give you lifetime access to the recordings. There's a small fee for that. That's really just to recoup our costs. But on the front end, you can watch everything for free. Uh, and I highly encourage anybody who's listening to this episode to take me up on this offer. Yeah. If you're hearing this episode after the summit is finished, um, then the recordings will be there for you to check out, okay? Yeah. And yeah, man, I'm super excited about it. It's an absolute passion project for me. I hope that people uh, enjoy it and appreciate it. I would like to make this an annual event. And uh, yeah, we've got, I'm, we're expecting about 5,000 people to attend. So should be should be good week. Very good week. Yeah. Um, just so everyone knows, I've already signed up for it. And I get good. the mail, emails daily. And I, I can't wait for it. Yeah, and it's going to be really especially good. Especially like for me and I know most of my community, it'll definitely like, you know, they'll have a lot of light bulb moments. They'll be like, oh, I didn't know this. Like I was just focused on the job. I was just focused on getting my PR or whatever. But mm -hmm. to know that there's a whole world out there, that's like an amazing thing you're doing. So that's what I Thank love you about much. your work as well. Mikhail, because, you know, you're just not motivated by anything but your mission. Like it's amazing. Thank you so yeah. much for that. My pleasure. Well, my, my goal has always been, you know, to educate people. I put the information out there and then we charge for the services. So it's yeah. like, oh, you need to buy a house? No problem. You know, you got to pay for a house. But for the information, like we do some things that are charged. I do run a bookstore and, you know, we sell books, physical and digital. We run some private webinars. We charge for those. We charge not because I'm 
some greedy capitalist who wants to take all your money. But I mean, if I get a couple hundred people on, I want to make sure that every single question gets answered. If I get a couple of thousand people on, well, that's not possible to do that. So you have to have some paid stuff. But I mean, we get hundreds of thousands of people a month who read my stuff and it's all for free. You know, like if you, if you resonate what we've talked about today and we, we've talked about very briefly about many different things, we, we go into detail you know, on the website, on my podcast, The Expat Money Show at expatmoneyshow.com or on my blog, escapeartist.com or the summit, offshoreescape.com. Um, you know, you can dig into all of those types of things. That's awesome. So I don't want to keep you from your family for dinner. So, <laughs> so before, you've already like gone past. So before we leave, what are some final words you can leave the audience with, especially with regards to as expats, how can we change the narrative? As I said before, that right now we are just focused on, you know, work till 65, retire, then enjoy life. But how can we change the narrative to, you know, start living now, explore the world now while doing what you love? How can we change that? All right. So, okay, I'm not a religious person, but honestly, we have no idea how long we're going to be on planet Earth. And this might be morbid, but you could walk across the street. Well, we're in quarantine right now, so maybe nobody's <laughs> walking across the street. But let's hypothetically say that you walk across the street, you could get hit by a bus, and you die tomorrow. And that would suck. You know what would suck even more is if you never got to do the things that you wanted to do in this life. Um, for me, I started doing them when I was a kid. I was like, I wanted to travel the world. My family, my dad had always told me that traveling was the best thing he ever did. So I was like, this is cool. I want to go and try this. And that's what I did when I was a teenager. And I was like, I like this so much. I'm not going to stop. I got to keep doing this. You know, like, why would I, you know, just go on one trip and then settle down and get the white picket fence? And, you know, like, it doesn't need to be done that way. Like, okay, for example, I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. My wife is from mainland China. I met her in Germany. My daughter was, uh, I was married in Africa. My daughter was born in the Middle East. And now I live in Panama full time, you know, I'm like, and I've, we've got investments and properties all over the world. So I'm like, there's not only one way to do things. Like, that's what I try to show people. Like, you know, you don't have to just follow one path and then, you know, then you can go and travel and then you can go and do something else. And then the reward is no man, go out there, have fun. Now you can make it work. You know, there's lots of options. I think that with remote working, everything that's happening right now uh, with the coronavirus, people will get a taste for remote working. Ask your boss, do I need to come back to the office? Can I do my job remotely? Start learning and educating yourself. We touched on, you know, paying for courses, working with coaches, try to find a mentor, you know, upgrade your skills so that you can start some type of a business so that you're location independent. Um, the education system has failed and it will continue to fail. It will actually get worse. Um, if you think that it was bad in the 1980s when I went through it, well, I'm telling you right now in 2020, it is much, much, much worse. Uh, look at homeschooling, look at world schooling, look at unschooling. There are many different types of programs out there, interest-based learning. We will homeschool. We are homeschooling my daughter. She's four years old. Um, she speaks three languages. You know, she knows her numbers. She can write in Chinese. She's four. You know, yeah. show me many four-year-olds who are going through public school systems who can do something like that. Um, and we study for like two hours a day with her. That's it. The rest of the time is all playtime. Playtime. Yeah, that's so, amazing. That's yeah, I mean, that's an awesome. These message. are all the paradigm shifts that we're talking about. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mikhail, for your time and for being it's an honor to 
have you as my first guest. And my pleasure. It was I wish fun. you all the best for your summit, and I'll be there. So that's it from the show today. To be honest, researching Mikhail's work and getting the chance to talk to Mikhail really opened my eyes to think as a global citizen. Please go and follow him in his journey on the links given in the show notes. And also, make sure you sign up for the Offshore Escape Summit, which is completely free. You may never know what ideas you will get from it and what new opportunities you might have from listening to over 26 experienced guests. And finally, thank you so much for listening. Share this if you know anyone who needs to hear this content. Take care.